We do have a lot to be thankful for uh, as a church in terms of our, our local and our global partnerships. And if you'd like to find more out about those things, uh, there's a bulletin board down the hallway here on the left-hand side, which sort of highlights some of them, and we would love to talk to you about them. So if you have questions about sort of the different groups that we partner with, uh, we invite you to come speak to any of the staff. You can grab one of our elders or just find someone like Hannah, who's a person who's just passionate about some of our partnerships, and we'd love to share with you uh, about them. But of course, yeah, th just be really thinking about light of the world. Liz and Juan Carlos have become good friends uh, for my wife and I, and we just really appreciate them. And uh, every time there seems to be a major chaotic situation that takes place in their region, uh, you wouldn't believe the amount of work that they put into going and serving the community. In fact, they serve the community with uh, such great faithfulness that uh, one of the projects they do is they build these stoves in order to help lift the smoke out of people's homes because typically people there uh, in the smaller communities, people with less money would cook in their home with open flame and it causes all sorts of health problems. And so they build these stoves, but they found out there was a, a family in need up on one of the mountain sides. And so they had a gentleman who decided he was going to go and serve the community. And so he put all the concrete blocks and steel plates onto his back and hiked up into the mountains to build this stove for people in need. And these things open up doors, not just to get kids a better education, but also for us to be able to, through them, partner in sharing the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is. And that's a big part of the partnership where where the church runs in the school so that as the families come and connect through these outreach projects like the stove, the kids come to school uh, throughout the week, then they're able to also teach them about the thing that they need most, which is a savior. And so, yeah, we'd love for you to partner with, in, with that in us. And it's just something we want to cultivate as a church, these special offerings. We normally take one Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, sort of big celebration chimes, because we believe that thankfulness, uh, it can be expressed also through us together giving towards uh, these great causes that are taking place locally and globally. Obviously, it's Thanksgiving, and so I want to talk a little bit about thankfulness, and I think it fits perfectly in with uh, the direction we're going in our sermon series. But for just a second, I want us to think about the benefit of thankfulness. Thankfulness is actually an incredibly powerful tool, far more powerful than we often give it credit for. Sometimes we think it's nice to hear of somebody being thankful. We think of the nice time that perhaps we'll have around a dinner table today or tomorrow, but it really goes far beyond that. And the, the impact that thankfulness can have on us as people who are thankful is far-reaching. For instance, studies have shown that thankfulness creates contentment. A lot of us go around pretty miserable in life because we're told we don't have this, we don't have that. We see the pictures of our friends who have gone and had these great experiences and, well, I've never had that great experience. Or we have those things that we just have craved for a long time, perhaps since childhood, something that we missed out on. Perhaps it's something that we just aspire towards and we can just never seem to get. And because of all these things, envy and a lack of contentment sort of build up in our lives. But studies have shown, Harvard University actually did a study to show that when we are intentionally thankful, 
our sense of happiness begins to grow. And they've done research to show that the more often you practice thankfulness, not just say it here or there, but actually intentionally incorporate it into your life, will increase your overall sense of contentment. And they found that people who practice thankfulness daily end up experiencing the least amount of envy and dissatisfaction with their life. But it goes beyond that even. It goes beyond this sense of happiness and uh, a sense of sort of well-being in our state of life to actually improve our health. The University of California Davies or Davis decided to do a research project into does it actually go beyond just sort of a state of mind to actually help our body? And they found that as we practice thankfulness, we actually reap health benefits. We reap the, the uh, benefits of our stress levels being lowered. It helps our heart and our lungs. It helps our brains as we try to walk through life. They say that people who are regularly content often can experience a bit greater state of health in their overall sense of well-being. Thankfulness, though, goes beyond us to impact our relationships have you ever noticed that you, you, the people who are positive and the people are, who are thankful are the people that you want to be around? I've noticed that. I, I don't particularly like being around people who are always miserable and complaining. I like to be around people who are positive. And that comes from this sense that we all have this innate need and desire to be appreciated. And so when we are in relationship with someone and they are positive about the situations we're involved in, when they appreciate us for who we are, it validates us and makes us want to draw closer to them. They've shown that as people express thankfulness for one another in relationship, relationship dynamics improve. And whether it's a, a couple who's in a uh, sort of dating or marriage relationship, or whether it's just between two friends, that those people draw closer together because as they feel validated by one another, as they feel appreciated, they grow together in relationship. But thankfulness also goes beyond just our health and our sort of social setting, but it also goes towards our spiritual health. Thankfulness actually propels us forward spiritually, and it can be used as a tool to help people in their faith journey. And that's what we're going to see today. Right now we're in the sermon series called Wildfire, looking at the spread of the good news of Jesus from Jerusalem out into the ends of the earth, as Jesus said. And this is sort of the beginning where we see that there's a number of people who are followers of Jesus who have decided they can't contain their thankfulness for what God has done, and so they need to go and spread the good news so that other people can be thankful as well. Today we're looking particularly at Acts chapter 13, verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 13 to 48. So if you've got a Bible, join me there. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along on the screens. But here we're going to see the Apostle Paul, who's going to tell a group of individuals about the faithfulness of God and how that should, in them, bring up a sense of thankfulness and how that thankfulness can actually lead to life change. As we go here, let me just sort of set up 
uh, a little bit on the peripheral. We'll read it just very quickly uh, in the first verse. But what we see is that Paul has been going on these journeys, and he's been trying to share about Jesus, but he's gone into one community where we believe that he got sick, and then he's, uh, scholars think probably this is what leads him to this next place, but he goes up to a place called Pisidian Antioch, which is high up in the mountains, and he lands in this community, which just so happens to be not just a Roman colony, but a place which is influential for governing and military in its whole region. And here, Paul begins to share the good news of Jesus, and it be, the news begins to spread. So let's read Acts chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 13 and read to 48. It says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Let's just stop there for a sec, because I want us to sort of pick up on what's happening. So as Paul and his friends are going on this journey, feeling called by God to go share about their thankfulness, they end up in this community on the Sabbath, the day of rest for the Jewish people. And so naturally, they do as they would as Messianic Jews. They go to the local synagogue to pray, to listen to the scriptures read, and to discuss about their faith. But as foreigners, as they come in, they're clearly distinguished. We don't know why the leaders exactly call on them, except we know that God is doing something in the background. But there's probably a good reason to believe it's because Paul would be dressed as a rabbi. He'd be no, he was known as a great scholar, a man of great influence. He was a follower of Jesus. He'd been the leader in the Jewish church in Jerusalem. And so as he comes into the community, there's a good chance people go, we need to talk to this guy. We need to hear from him about what's going on. And so they say, hey, can you give us an exhortation? Now, this is a word we don't really use all that much in our language today, but an exhortation is, is sort of a, an urgent appeal, a, a strong word of advice or warning. It's sort of, a, a, give us a great word, Paul. We, we want to hear something. We want to learn something that we need to know right now. And so Paul takes this opportunity to lean into a message of thankfulness, a message that he believes can be used by the Holy Spirit to end up influencing this Jewish crowd. I mean, we know it's a Jewish crowd because, well, it's the Sabbath day in a synagogue, and they're asking a rabbi from Jerusalem for something to say. And so we continue on, and this is Paul's sermon, if you will, to those people. It says he stands up and Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. But after this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, so he gave them Saul, son of Kish, 
of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king, testified, and God testified concerning him that I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, from this man, that's David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, just as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for, but there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Fellow children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, Paul said, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus, yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that you read every Sabbath. Though they have no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised Jesus from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God has promised to our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son, today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. As God has said, I will give you the holy and sure blessing promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your holy one see decay. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see this decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. So take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. This is what the prophets said. They say, look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. So as Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them, and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded that I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Now there's a whole lot that is contained in Paul's words here. I mean, this is our first of Paul's sermons that we, we get recorded. Luke, who's the author of the book of Acts, clearly thought this was an influential teaching, and so he recorded it down for the church through generations to, 
to read and to, to see and understand. And, and there's a lot of, of focus on what the good news of Jesus is. And as a church, we just went through a series called The Gospel, Past, Present, and Future. And we looked at what does the gospel mean for our past? What does it mean for our present? And, and what does it mean moving forward? And if you want to sort of unpack that a little bit, I'd encourage you to go online and, and go back and watch those messages because they're sort of Peter's summary of the very thing that Paul's saying. But what Paul does here is he comes to a group of people who are interested in understanding life and faith and how those two things intersect. And when they ask him for some clarity, they, when they ask him for direction on what they need to hear next, we notice Paul does something. He doesn't get inventive and come up with the best couple phrases or sayings that he can think of for them to have stuck in their mind. But instead, what he does is he gives them a reason to give thanks. He doesn't go through and take apart their whole system of belief and, and, and take it apart so that he can build up a new system. Instead, what he does is takes what they believe and shows how Jesus is the answer to what's next. If you were to go through all of Paul's sermon here, you'd see first in verses 17 to 22 that he tells the story of what God has been doing for these Jewish people for centuries. He tells us all about sort of the story that takes place through what we have recorded as our Old Testament. He talks about how God picked the nation of Israel so he could bring himself glory through them, how they struggled and tried to find ways to connect and to ultimately see themselves flourish. He, he hearkens to certain stories that have promises of God connected to them. And then what he does is he switches gears. In the verses that follow next, verses 23 and forward, he ends up saying, you guys have been waiting for some promises. You've been struggling and going through all these changes. You've seen the goodness of God, but you've always wondered when is the big thing that's going to come next? When's the ultimate answer to the promise that we're holding out for going to come to fruition? You see, the Jewish people at this time are waiting for a reason for thankfulness. Yes, they have a history that's been marked by God doing incredible things, but they're waiting for this promise that God had given that he was going to send his Messiah, the one who would come and save his people. And so they're waiting and waiting and waiting. When is this going to come to pass? And that's when Paul steps in and says, after he's heard the whole church talking about the Old Testament, he says, guess what? The fulfillment has come. He begins to talk about the birth of Jesus and tells how Jesus is the one who is the promised deliverance for the people of God. He begins to say that Jesus is salvation. And as we looked at our series, The Gospel, we talked about how really what God is saving us to is himself and a life-giving relationship with him for eternity. Now, the Jewish people have, again, have been searching for a long time, and that's why Paul says this in verse 23 to 25. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus, just as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people. And so Paul says, okay, 
I'm going to give you this case that, that Jesus is the answer, but I don't want you to just take, take it from me. You don't know me. Yeah, I'm, I might be this rabbi who you, you sort of know who he is coming from another community, but I also want you to take a word from a more recent prophet, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was an influential figure in the uh, Jewish culture, and so he says, look at him. He said, I'm not the one you're looking for, but I know the one who is. He's coming next. And as we study uh, the Gospels, we see that there was this interaction between John the Baptist and his cousin Jesus, and, and John continued to point to what was next by saying, this is him. My cousin Jesus is the one who's come, and I don't even deserve to touch and tie up his sandals because he is the Messiah we're waiting for. And so Paul continues. He launches into the, more of the good news in verse 32. He says, so we tell you, me and my friends who are standing before you, we tell you the good news. What God has promised our ancestors, has, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. If we fast forward to verse 38, he says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. One of the hard things about being a Jewish person who follows in the Jewish religious tradition without Jesus is that you have to follow the law of Moses. The law of Moses was what God gave to his people to say, this is what it takes to live life to perfection. Well, if we are good students of history and if we even study our own lives, we know that it's impossible to live up to God's standard. It's impossible to see that fulfillment of the forgiveness of our sin, the, the forgiveness of the things that we do wrong, the places we err from what God defines as perfection. The Jewish people knew that sin had a consequence because in the law, there was this prescription that how you deal with your sin is you participate in the sacrificial system. The cost of sin is death. But the problem was there was no suitable sacrifice that would carry on throughout life, so they had to keep on participating. And if you talk to a person who is a, a Jew who does not have a messianic or they don't believe in Jesus' identity, you'll often find a lot of weight of condemnation, guilt, and shame. And the reason is there's no freedom that comes from living under the law because they keep falling into it. And so Paul says, I know where you've been. I've been there as well. But there's really good news that you don't have to continue to operate under that system because Jesus has come to be the fulfillment, to be the answer just as God promised so that if you would believe in him, you'd be free free from the guilt, free from the shame, free from the burden of trying to aspire to perfection, though there is no way to possibly do it. Paul says there's a lot to be thankful for when you know Jesus. There's a lot to be thankful for when you understand that the promises of God have been fulfilled. 
So Paul goes from this moment and we see that he, he uses this uh, prophetic word from the Old Testament scriptures to, to warn them, don't just hear this, but respond to it. There's gonna, he says there's going to be people who hear this and they're not going to believe it, even from someone who knows. But that leads into launching forward in the ministry. And we'll see that Paul will go on here in these verses and continuing on to lead many people to faith through thankfulness. I really believe that thankfulness propels us forward spiritually because we see it happen continually throughout the scriptures. Thankfulness has the ability to take every single person from a place of death to a place of life. This is what Paul is encouraging the people with. This is what he's saying, again, is, is without, take, without God having taken action, you're right. Your sin is death. But the good news is God has taken action. He sent his son Jesus to come to earth to live the perfect life, to be your substitute in death. He was tortured and beaten, mocked and crucified. And then he was buried. And he lay there for three days until he rose again. Paul is telling them that through thankfulness, we can move from death to life. What's thankfulness? Thankfulness for those who would be followers of Jesus to look to God and believe in what he has provided and to respond to him because of it. And so it says that through our thankfulness, by turning to God, by trusting in him, by thanking him for what he's done with Jesus, we no longer will experience an eternal spiritual or physical death. But in the moments we recognize who Jesus is, we move from death to life. And we're told that even when we experience a physical death, here on this earth, that one day we will be physically and spiritually resurrected to be with God. So thankfulness is really more than just a little bit of decreased stress. It's a little bit more, it's really a lot more, pardon my sarcasm, it's a lot more than just a little bit of a health benefit. Our practice of thankfulness is an opportunity to move from death to life. It's an opportunity for resurrection. I believe the reason why God hardwired our body to respond in thankfulness was so that we would have some type of indication to know, yeah, when I am thankful, these things take place, so that we would see the greater promise that we see revealed in Scripture, that when we're really thankful to God for the fullness of what he's done, for the victory that he's earned on the cross, that we will experience even greater health, and life. And so thankfulness is a, a mechanism by which we can propel ourselves forward spiritually. But it's also a mechanism by which we can help propel others forward spiritually. I know a lot of Christian people who wonder why people won't respond to Jesus. We wonder why people just we don't hear about him and reject him or they see the church and walk away. And I believe it's because we're known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're known more for what we want to attack than what we believe and trust in. 
We're known more for what we think is a negative thing than for what we think is a positive thing, the things that we're thankful in. I have quite a number of non-Christian friends and people in community who, who aren't believers who I have conversations with. Uh, one of the great places that I experience this is when I coach softball every spring and summer, and I have a lot of great conversations with people as I coach their kids, and they end up at some point asking me, what do you do for a living? What, like, what do you do besides Saturday morning or Wednesday night with our kids? I'm a pastor. Oh, right? Because in their minds, they've already determined what I'm against. You're not going to like this part of my life. You're not going to believe in this thing that I do. You're not a fan of me in this. That's heartbreaking to me. That as they look at a person of faith that they see what I'm against. I have this imagination, this hopeful optimism that we could rewrite that script. That instead, that if we were to be people who would practice thankfulness and exhibit it like Paul, that when we had opportunity to step into the life of an unbelieving person, that we could share thankfulness and that could change things from within. I've shared the story uh, before of a friend that we used to live beside in our townhouse complex. And I remember her saying to me one time, Kyle, I can't believe that I'm friends with a pastor. I don't like church, I don't like Christians, I don't understand. But it was through relationship and through positive uh, expression of life and faithfulness that she got a different perspective. Why is that? Because thankfulness is compelling. We all know that we want to spend time with positive, thankful people. It builds our relationship. Science has proven this. Our personal experience validates this. We like the person in the office who's thankful when we help them, not the person who takes all the credit. We like the person who talks positively about the things they're working on, not the person who moans and grumps about everything. We know this by experience, yet for some reason we forget there's a gap between that understanding and the way we live. For some reason, Christianity has chalked up sharing our faith to good argumentation and moralistic teachings. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a great place for an apologetic approach to debating the, the validity of faith, to being able to discuss why we can believe in the Christian scriptures, why we should go in this way. There's great value once someone comes to faith in Jesus to teaching them about the way God's kingdom is meant to be lived. Because we believe that that leads to flourishing. But we've forgotten in the midst of that to share our thankfulness in him. Without a, thank, a spirit of thankfulness in how we approach unbelievers, I don't think we'll ever see the fruit that we hope to see. Notice again what Paul did. Paul took time to look into the people's lives and see where there was a gap. And then he spoke not inventively, but clearly, specifically to them and said, here is how Jesus has answered that promise in my life. And here's what he wants to do in yours again. He shared a compelling case for faith in Jesus 
that he's more than they could ever need if they would believe in him. This is the approach I think that we need to take as a people who want to share the gospel, as we want to see more of what took place in Acts take place in our world today, if we want to see the uncontrollable spread of the good news of Jesus, I think we have to begin to cultivate a posture of thankfulness. What would it look like? What would the demeanor towards Christians be if we were known for thankfulness? All across tables across the country this weekend, today, tomorrow, some yesterday, people will share what they're thankful for. For some, it's going to be the people that they're sitting around the table with. For others, it's going to be a job that provides the ability to pay the bills. For others, a pet. For others, still, it's carbs and carved turkey. And all these things are good, but they all pale if we forget who provides them. So let's work on being a people of thankfulness. We can begin at our tables this week. But beyond that, I want us to just for a moment take a time and consider some questions about how do we cultivate thankfulness. This is, this is a struggle. This is a struggle for me uh, as, as well. This is something that sometimes I have to remind myself. I actually have to constantly remind myself of, of how to build this in. But I want to share with you a few simple steps that might be able to help you cultivate an attitude of thankfulness so that as you go out to be a person of thankfulness that you're actually coming from a place that's well fed and not something that you have to manufacture and so the first step i would give you or the first tip that i would give you as a person of faith to be thankful is to be a person who makes a conscious effort every day to pray henry nowen once wrote he said gratitude is the awareness that life in all manifestations is a gift for which we want to give thanks he goes on to say the closer we come to god in prayer the more we become aware of the abundance of god's gifts to us we may even discover the presence of these gifts in the midst of our pains and sorrows the mystery of the spiritual life is that many of the events people and situations that for a long time seem to inhibit our way to god actually become ways of being united more deeply with him what seemed a hindrance proves to be a gift thus gratitude becomes a quality of our hearts that allow us to live joyfully and peacefully even though our struggles continue the pattern of prayer encourages us to continually go to god for provision that's part of it part of it is going to god for provision that's where most of us really have a good strength and when we go to god with provision if we really think about it reminds us that god is the one who's in control that god's the one who has the ability to give it gives us clear perspective about something that we can have gratitude in I have a relationship with the God of the universe who's over top of every situation, who's over top and can provide this thing. And so even if this thing doesn't come to pass, I know that I have him. Part of the practice of prayer is to come to God in confession, to acknowledge to God where we've gone wrong. And again, this is a practice that can cultivate 
uh, a, an attitude of thankfulness. Man, I know how awful of a person I have been. I know all of the places that I have done wrong. Actually, maybe I don't even know all of them, but I have a pretty big list. And the work of Jesus on the cross was enough to cover all that. I'm thankful. Part of our prayer life, hopefully, is that we also do spend some time in Thanksgiving. And what's amazing is that as we spend time being thankful, the list begins to grow. Sometimes it's hard to think of something that we're thankful for, particularly when we're going through a difficult situation. I get that. But what's amazing is that once the ball starts rolling, it begins to pick up steam. And we can see, hey, I'm thankful for this thing. Oh, yeah, but this thing, but this thing. And this practice as we cultivate our thankfulness is that when we spend time with God, even if it's just in our confession or in this time of asking for things, saying, hey, thank you, God, that we'll be able to catapult that forward and say, hey, but also thanks for this. And thank you for this. And thank you for this. And in those moments, no matter what's happening, God builds our sense of gratitude within. Another practical way that I would encourage you to sort of follow this up as you uh, start to pray for the purpose of cultivating thankfulness is to record your prayers. You know, I've done this on and off uh, to keep, I've tried to keep a record of prayers in different seasons. And, and what's great is that when I do that, when I stop and take time later on to go back and look, I'm often reminded of the way that God has answered prayer. For instance, uh, our elders do this every week. Every Tuesday morning, uh, we gather to pray and we add the different prayer requests. But part of it is that as that list grows, the next week when we begin our time of prayer, we look through it for updates. Hey, where, has, where have we heard of how God has been moving? And incredibly, sometimes, you know, something will sit on there for a really long time to the point we might have forgot if we were on our own. But down the road, we're able to say, hey, we have an answer to this. We've actually seen that God has moved in this way or that. Sometimes it's he's brought healing down the road. Sometimes even if the situation didn't go as we had prayed for, we see that God did something through that circumstance in order to reach into the life of somebody else. A few weeks ago, we, we did this in our practice of prayer, and we were able to actually identify quite a number of things, where we, places where we had seen God working. And so it led us to a place of thankfulness. And I know that as I was thankful in that time of prayer, it didn't just end there. But then as I went through the rest of the day, it made me more attentive to my times of prayer. It made me more thankful in my uh, outview of everything else that I went through that day. And so pray to practice thankfulness. The second thing we can do is study scripture for the purpose of thankfulness. Paul was a really smart guy, and he had studied all of the Old Testament scriptures. This is why he was able to go to these people and share what God had done, because he'd actually looked and connected the dots to see how God was moving. So often we take our Bibles and we pick them up and we read just a verse or two, but one thing that I would perhaps encourage you with is sometimes some of these Bibles, especially if you get a study one, have little notations that connect them to other scriptures. Look at, at those, and sometimes what you'll find is that this passage is connected to something over here. And as I look, sometimes, especially if I'm looking through the Gospels, I see a fulfillment 
of a promise or a situation that God has remedied through the person of Jesus Christ. Study our Bibles as a method of being thankful. And finally, just one practical thing, again, this idea of keeping the ball rolling is to, to keep a gratitude journal or list. This is something, again, I've done on and off for years as well as recording prayers. And, and it, it just, for me, has been something that jogs my memory to remember to be thankful. For a long time, I've kept a, a, a piece of paper on the back of my office door, and it just has 10 things that I'm grateful for. And it's a great reminder for me that when I close my door to work in silence or as I open my door to go out into the rest of my day, into another meeting, into some aspect of life, that I have much to be thankful for. And as I reflect on those things and periodically change them and add things and and that sort of thing, it deepens my trust in who God is. So there's three very simple ways that we can practice thankfulness. In a moment, though, I want us to practice a fourth, and that's through taking communion. We have this great tradition that has been passed down to us since the time of Jesus. Now, I'm certain that it wasn't a very thankful moment when Jesus sat at the Last Supper, sitting around the table with his friends, as he talked to them, as he broke the bread as the wine was poured and he gave it to them and talked about how his body would be broken, how his blood would be poured out for the forgiveness of sins. I'm sure it wasn't a, a, a moment of celebration and probably for many in the room it was, there was no thankfulness. But on this side of the cross, in this time of life, we can see the depth and rich that that speaks to why we can have some thankfulness. There's a paradox that takes place every time we come to the communion table. Death and brokenness of our Savior leads to thankfulness through grace and mercy in our lives. Through the cross, through the sacrifice of Jesus, we have new life. We have hope. We have things to be thankful in. And so in a moment, what I would encourage us all to do for a follower of Jesus is to take an opportunity on our own to be thankful with him. We have communion stations set up all around the room. We have three at the front. We have a couple at the back and we'll have a rover who will go around. So if you can't make it to one of the stations, just put up your hand and communion elements will be brought to you. But as we, we, we head through this time of reflection, I want it to be a moment of thankfulness. The band's going to come up and play, and they're going to lead us in some songs of worship to help focus our mind. But as they play, I would encourage you to come to one of the stations and take the bread and the cup. Remembering that Jesus said of the bread, this is my body which is broken for you. Remember of the cup, this is my blood that is poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. And then after you've received them, head to your seat through a time of reflection and prayer maybe a time of focusing on the words that we're singing together, I want you to come to a moment of thankfulness. And when you're ready, I want you to say, thank you, God, for your body being broken, and then eat the bread. And then when you've done that, take another moment to just wait, and when you're ready, say, thank you, God, that your blood was poured out for the forgiveness of my sins and then drink it. And then together, 
as a community. As we do that, yes, each on our own, we will testify and share about the great thing that God has done by enabling us to be forgiven for our sin. And then with that swell, to leave us being people of thankfulness in everything we do for the rest of today, through this Thanksgiving weekend, and in to whatever we face this next week. So I'm going to invite the communion servers to head to their stations, and let me pray. God, I am just so incredibly thankful for who you are. God, I can't believe, I can't believe that you loved us when you knew what we would do. I can't believe that you loved me despite knowing every time that I would sin. And God, that's just, that's incredible. I don't even love myself in that time. But God, your love so immense that you would die for me and for everyone here because of that. Lord God, would you teach me and us together, Lord, would you teach us to continually find thankfulness in who you are and what you've done? Would you help us to be people who would regularly find ways to be grateful no matter what we're experiencing in life because we know the power that you have over everything? God, it's so easy to feel defeated in our temptation and in our sin and by all the negativity we're steeped in in the world. So God, would you help to change us? Begin now as we take communion. Would you change our outlook and our attitude on how we view things? Would we see it through the lens of the cross and would we receive peace and contentment? So Lord God, now as we receive these communion elements, would we be reminded of what you have done? Would we be filled with joy and hope so that we would be thankful in everything? God, we thank you and we pray and we trust that you can accomplish more in these moments than we could in a lifetime. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.